But the well-being economy is saying, let's hang on a minute. The economy's there. It's ours. We can do what we want with it. So we need to make sure that the end product, the end goal is not growth, 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 growth. This is Climate Curious, the podcast for people who are bored, scared or confused by climate change. I'm Marion Pasha, the director and curator at Telex London and the co-host of this podcast, alongside the amazing Ben. Hi, I'm Ben Hurst, activist and advocate exploring what positive masculinities can look like and self-confessed climate normie. So today we're going to be talking about something. We're going to talk a little bit about the economy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you feel about the economy, mm. but I feel like we never talk about it positively. It's like whenever it is in the news headlines mm-hmm. or in conversation, it's like something catastrophic is, has, is, or about to happen. It's not really a great feeling. Yeah. One of the, I, I'm not sure if you actually knew this about me, but um, I'm not actually an economist. And so <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't really have any idea what we're talking about, to be honest. I just, what I do know about the economy is that everybody's pissed off with it at the, at the moment. That's correct, right? Like, I think that's it's correct. not going well. That's that's the picture that I get from listening to LBC every now and then is that we're we're not we're not in a good state of affairs currently, um, and there's room. Maybe a nice way to phrase it is there's room for improvement. Yes, Dr- drastic improvement. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I think that's right, and I think one of the things that the reason we decided to do this episode, I think, is because the economy, like climate, is a big system. Right. And it can feel super overwhelming and super daunting and almost so big that you can't wrap your hands around it, let alone understand all the things that are part of it, mm-hmm. which is why we've brought in an expert. As we do. As we do. Um, so let's just let's just get into it. So we're joined today by Liz Zeidler. She's the chief executive of the Center for Thriving Places, a charity and social enterprise helping to build a well-being economy across the UK and beyond. And she's going to tell us what that is. Um, and Liz has m- loads of experience in this space, so we're super excited to have her here. She's also involved in the Wellbeing Economy Alliance. And Liz, let's just start at the very top, right? This is the Climate Podcast. You work on the economy what do these things have to do with Why are you here? Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? Just to break the news to you, I'm not an economist okay, either. Right. <laughs> Sorry about that, people. Wow. Do you want your money back? Cook someone else. Um, I'm actually a philosopher. I okay. mean, you know, that's probably well, much more interesting, but let's not worry about that. Um, so I, I'm here to talk about something called the well-being economy, which most people probably haven't heard about. And may, you might then go, well, what the hell's that got to do with the climate? Yeah. Um, I think it's better to kind of step back a little bit and go, what about the the current economy? The economy that we're all living and breathing every day and are all a part of. So we might not think we know much about it, but we are very, very much a part of that Mm. that economy. So the bad news is that the current economy, if you like, is designed, it has designed right into the heart of it, pretty much automatically climate change, spiraling inequality, and a lot of unhappiness. Sounds Sorry good. to break the news to you people. It's a kind of design flaw right at the heart of it. Okay? Oh my gosh, this is a I know, we're going to get to the happy start. stuff my in a minute, goodness. in a minute. That's so at the, moment, at the moment, if you think about the economy, it's like all the stuff we do, all the busyness that we're about, all our businesses, all that sort of stuff. And the definition of progress for that economy, and to be honest with you, for our society altogether is whether we're consuming and produ- producing and consuming more stuff this year than last year. 
We all talk about growth all the time. It's an absolute disaster if we're not consuming more shit, excuse my French, this year than we were last year and next year than this year. Okay. That's the kind of definition of progress. It's got the fancy name of GDP growth, but if GDP is not growth, which is basically are we producing and consuming more stuff, if that's not growing year on year on year, then it's a disaster. That's how this current economic model is set up, okay? Right. So the challenge with that is pretty obvious, I think. We can immediately see the problem with that, is that, that, that na nature doesn't expect us to keep on growing. Continual growth. You don't find it anywhere in nature. You find it. Oh, in fact, the only place you do find it is cancer. And none of us particularly think that's a great model to follow, yeah? yeah. So, <laughs> so a striking similarity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, right, right. So this idea that we have to keep on doing more is very unnatural on every level. It's incredibly bad for the planet because we've got to keep on using more natural resources. Mm -hmm. But it's also really bad for us and our well-being and our happiness because it's not actually natural to think, I need loads more stuff. Once you've got a bunch of stuff, it's not natural to constantly think you need more stuff. So we have to be slightly drip-fed a level of dissatisfaction with what we have right. in order to keep on, keep on being on this rabbit wheel. Ma rabbit wheel? There aren't hamster rabbit wheels, wheel. are they? Mouse wheel. What Ham are they? Hamster. Mouse hamster. Wheels. Hamster. hamster. Some wheeled animals thing. are on. You get the idea. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't feel like they have to feed me too much to get me to want more stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like that's, it does feel natural, but then I get what you're saying that it's, there's nowhere in nature where that is replicated. And, the, and, and there is so much you're being fed all the time. Right. The must have this, the, you know, the, you know, you're, uh, that's that iPhone, you've got to have a new iPhone. You've got to, you know, women have got to be, have this yeah. cream in order to look even more beautiful and beach body and all of that. You know, you know yeah, where I'm yeah. going with this. Yeah. We're drip fed that all day, every day. And you have been since we were born. So yeah. of course we do all think that's just natural, but it isn't natural. And the, the problem we've got at the moment is we've got this economy which is a man-made construct. And actually the economy we currently have has only been around, you know, the, this system that we have, this kind of neoliberal capitalist system has only really been in the way it is now since sort of 1950 or something like that. So it's not that long in the grand mm -hmm. scheme of things. We created it, we can change it. So this economy is here and it's basically saying it has to keep on growing regardless of how we're doing. We could all be miserable, like you said at the beginning. We could all be miserable, but this thing has to keep on growing. We have to be a part of that, yeah? Um, and actually what we need to do is kind of tip that on its head and say, what is the economy for if it's not to help us all to have better lives on a thriving planet? Well-being is a really annoying modern phrase, I think. I know someone who's here to talk about well-being is funny, but none of us go, oh, what I really want for my kids is some well-being. We don't do it. <laughs> we want them to be happy. We want them to be thriving. We want them to be you know, whatever, you know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It, so what we should have is an economy that's in service to people and planet. And actually what we've got is people and planet are in service to the economy. We're resources. We have the horrible phrase human resources. I mean, we hear that every day. We should stop and think about that a bit. Ooh. You know, we are resources for this economy as are the whole of the natural world. And that's the wrong way around. So the well-being economy is saying, let's hang on a minute. The economy's there. It's ours. We can do what we want with it. So we need to make sure the, the end product, the end goal is not growth, 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 like kind of automatic. Those things, yeah. like robots. Um, Automatons, uh, right? That's right, the right, word. Right. Thank you. I thank love you, when thank I know you. stuff. It's so good. It feels so, so good. So, so, the, so instead of the end goal being growing GDP, right. the end goal becomes: Are we growing our capacity to thrive, and are we doing that in a way that also helps the planet to thrive? And that just shifts the balance of the economy and all the decisions that we make on a daily basis, whether they're whether the Chancellor of the Exchequer or just normal people in the in the 
you know, the shops or wherever else. Right. Are we making decisions that are growing our capacity to thrive now and for generations to come? So you're, there's, a, there's a few things you've said there that I think are, we should really pull out because I think that what they're, they, what you're asking us to do is quite radical in a way, right? Like you're asking us to change our mindset. Like we're, you know, it's, it's kind of about fundamentally questioning whether the, the relationships that are set up in this economic model actually do work. Because I do think that there is, you know, a bit of a, um, no, there's a mindset, but there's a bit of a momentum that this is just the way it is and we just keep going this way. And what you're asking for is that, or you, what you're suggesting is we actually need to to, to question these fundamental assumptions. Like, it's, is it like, um, is it Marie Kondo? Who, is that her name? The woman who does the minimalist stuff, like clean your house and live a small yeah, life. Yeah, so that is her name. Yeah, that's quite, that's quite like a, like I feel like in theory, that's a great idea. In practice, like it's quite difficult, right? Because like you say, we all want, more stuff or more we're we're taught to all want more stuff so it does feel pretty like it feel it feels like what you're saying is let's burn it all to the ground is that it's definitely not what i'm saying <laughs> okay we're not okay good to clarify so we're not saying let's burn it all to the ground but you are asking for people to do what is quite a big shift in mindset or do, is it a big shift have we been told it's a big shift yeah. but actually it's not this is what i'm curious yeah yeah i think that is exactly the question I, i'm going to show my age now because many of you in the audience might go what there's a fantastic children's story called the emperor's new clothes i don't yeah, know yeah, if yeah, many yeah. enough of you have heard of it uh, emperor's so, new groove yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> shout out to my disney peeps yeah. <laughs> so you know we all know that we you know those of us who know that story so basically there's emperors parading around the streets naked right. and everybody because they've been so mind you know told all over and over again that he's this incredible emperor and he's you know all the rest of it they don't question it and the smallest boy in the audience goes oi he's naked and in a sense that's where we are now with the economy we think it's this impossible impenetrable thing but it absolutely isn't it's the decisions that every single person makes every day it's the decisions that our leaders are making and if we suddenly go what do we want it to achieve so we're not getting rid of the economy no one's getting rid of it we're just saying what do we want this purchase what do we want this decision what this investment what do we want it to deliver do we just want it to grow a weird number that actually in essence just makes the rich incredibly rich and destroys the planet or do we want our investments of time love money etc etc i was i I think there's a big thing here about reclaiming some of this language because we think investment just means money but of course it doesn't Mm. but whatever you're investing let's make in make that investment in things that are going to improve life now for each of us for others for the planet for the future you know for etc etc so you know it's interesting ben you had that response about like is this about burning it all down because i do feel like part of what what we're talking about here is that this feels impossible Mm. (laughs) right like like our options are either continue as is or burn it all down and which you know it does like honestly neither appeals to me if i'm if i'm quite honest you know so i could get behind burning it down i mean i'm sure i mean anarchy is i imagine it would be fun for a couple of weeks you know i mean and then probably not so great afterwards yeah i'm gonna go with no continue um but how you know, this is something that you've been spending, you know, a very long time thinking about working on. Let's talk now about how we make these shifts. Like if we know that this economy is not working for people or for planet, mm. and we know that we want to shift to this this idea of a well-being economy that values things differently and that looks at thriving, how do we do that? Like is is that doesn't seem like anything that we're talking about we can do. 
So the first, so when you say is it impossible, it's really daunting, etc. The first thing to remember is it's not just a pipe dream; it's happening. New Zealand's probably the poster girl of this, you know. So Jacinda Ardern, who's the prime minister there, just said it's a it's a decision. She said on day one of her premiership, we are going to run a well-being economy. So their whole budget is based on we will hand out money if you can demonstrate you will be improving the well-being of people and the planet. Mm. And then you get your money. And if you can't prove that, you ain't getting your money. And the you know the Welsh government passed an incredible piece of legislation called the Future Generations Act, which put into law in Wales that they cannot spend public money unless it's demonstrating that it's improving the well-being of current and future generations. These are shifts that, that, that people can make. And then it has this incredible ripple effect out onto other, other spaces. And, you know, the things you might have heard about, things like this huge growth and things like the sharing economy, you know, and, the, and, and, and reuse and, and circular economies, and things like that. Those are people going, hang on a minute, this economy can work differently. We don't actually all need one of everything. We can share some more stuff. We can build things out of stuff that doesn't destroy the planet. We can make investments in ways that will help our children to thrive, not just us thrive for the next 10 minutes. Right, right, you know, right. it's, It is absolutely a mindset shift, and it's happening already in communities. I wanted to ask a question, yeah. which was, in my, I'm, this is going to sound stupid because I'm obviously talking to a philosopher here, but in my mind, it sounds like what you're talking about is socialism versus capitalism. Am I, am I wrong in thinking that that's the shift that we're trying to make here? Or is, is, is this just a, a version of capitalism that centers something different? I think there are multiple names and versions of the economy out there and okay. they've been used in different ways over the years i think one of the nice things about this well-being economy movement that's really really taking off is it simplifies it a bit instead of putting lots of complicated names on it mm. we're just saying let's make put the economy it's it's still an important part of the world it's not going to disappear mm -hmm. but let's put it at the service of people and the planet right. because so otherwise we won't have a place to live in i mm. think it's quite interesting the word economy and the word ecology mm -hmm. come from exactly the same place. Mm -hmm. It's the same Greek word, which means home. So economy just means look, um, management of the home. And ecology means study of the home. Mm. And we have only got one home. I mean, you know, however much we might want to have more, we've only got one home. We have to look after it. Right. And we're all in that home together as human beings. So we have to look after each other as well. So one of the things I love working in this space is, is it's quite non-political. You know, I go into big, you know, governmental organizations and say, should should all of our activity, our political and economic activity, be helping us to create the right conditions for people to thrive mm -hmm. equitably and sustainably so future generations can also thrive? Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, it doesn't really matter what political persuasion you're of. It's quite hard to argue against that. Oh, no, Liz, we shouldn't be creating conditions for people to thrive. That's a terrible... I mean, I've just not heard it. So it doesn't really matter what label you <laughs> right. put on it. We're just saying, for God's sake, it's the emperor's new clothes. Who's going to be the little boy who sticks his hands up and gone? hang on a minute, this is madness. We've got a system that's screwing us over. Mm. And it will do, and it'll keep making things worse unless we do something about it. Every podcast needs a goat. That's greatest of all time. And ours is the global bank, City. City is Tenet London and Climate Curious's headline partner and has been with us every step of the way on this podcast, supporting our vision and encouraging us to be courageous and adventurous with our ideas. Instead of your typical boring ad, we actually thought you might be more interested to hear about some of the initiatives that City has played a part in. The City Foundation backed the world's first thermal packaging material made from surplus feathers called Plumo, produced by London-based startup Aeropowder. 
This was through the City Foundation's work with the Mayor's Entrepreneur Programme. Using surplus feathers is great because one, it reduces waste, two, it contributes to a circular economy, and three, it reduces our reliance on plastics, which we typically use for packaging. It's cool to see how supporting student projects can help grow a whole new generation of green businesses. Nice one, City. Thank you for making this podcast possible. Now, back to the show. One of the things I'm, I, I I would love to explore more is this idea of like local action. And one of the things we've discussed so far is like changing our assumptions. And I'm just curious to know, like for listeners, what are some assumptions they sh- could be questioning that would help them move out of this system that maybe they haven't seen before? Like, yeah, I love the, I love the idea of assumptions because actually the whole economy is based on lots of assumptions. It's based on this really weird assumption that we should be needing more stuff as a as a globe every single year um in fact it was david attenborough who recently said um the only people who believe in it, a, a perpetual growth are madmen and economists and he's right you know it is mad sorry it's to the economists <laughs> and to the madmen <laughs> sorry um, we apologize it's very rude I can't believe you just said um so so i think some of the assumptions we have to have is that we don't have any influence mm. so i'm really passionate i used to do a lot of work around leadership all over the world whether it's kind of working at the sort of un cop whatever we were talking earlier i'm old enough to have seen all 27 cops uh but you know those sorts of things back in the day or community leaders or individuals but i think it's us recognizing that we have leadership all the time because we influence other people mm. literally every single person in the world from the smallest child upwards influences other people you know if you go into the shop and you're grumpy with them um the, the person behind the counter might be a little bit more grumpy with the next person who's a bit more grumpy to their child who's a bit more grumpy to the child yeah, minder yeah, etc yeah, yeah. we have these ripple effects we are doing that 24 hours a day people every decision you make every choice you doing everything you buy etc it's a choice and you're having this leadership effect so the choice then becomes whether you are you know the mayor of london and then you've got quite a lot of levers of power i'm going to make these decisions like they've just done in the north of time and other places that we work i'm going to make sure that these huge budgets we're playing with are investing in people's capacity to thrive now and into the future They've got some big decisions to make, but actually at a very, very local level, you know, what are we doing in our community? Am I, the decision I make of how I spend my free time, am I mm-hmm. doing things that are either improving my life, those I love's lives, the people mm-hmm. I live nearby's lives? Am I doing that in ways that aren't going to, uh, isn't mm-hmm. going to compromise the capacity for the, my kids or my grandchildren or whoever's lives to improve as well? So in the back of your mind, not thinking, oh, I need this thing. You might need this thing. I'm not against buying things at all, but actually making those decisions about the purchases we make, how we invest, back to invest our love, invest our time, invest our skills, how are we investing in a better future for us and other people? I think it's just a really profound question. And recognizing that you have that leadership, you yeah. have that power every single day, all the choices. That sounds a bit exhausting, doesn't it? But, um, you know, we really do. So we can just make those those choices. And, and at a big level... They can have these huge effects. And as, as obviously as citizens, we've also got the power of the vote. You know, are we choosing elected lead, leaders, whether they're councillors or MPs or anything else? Are we choosing the ones who are saying, you know what? I do care about what happens to the next generation. I do care about whether or not we've got a healthy planet to live on. And these are the sorts of things we're going to be investing in. It, it does. It does sound like um, you said exhausting. And I don't know if it sounds... I don't know if it feels exhausting to me, but it does feel overwhelming. Like it feels, I I feel like because you are 
because you are philosophical, that maybe you spend a lot of time in that space. To me, that feels scary. Like the idea of like, oh, you can just make different decisions. My mind is instantly like, well, what decisions do I make then? Like, what do I need to shop in different places or do I need to buy different stuff or do I need to stop buying stuff? You said you're not against the idea of buying new things, which I appreciate. That makes me feel better about myself. But um, what, what kind of actions are we talking about the vote is one that you that you said which i think is something that doesn't feel overwhelming to me that feels like something i can definitely do but are there any other things like for the average person because i think also the conversation in all of the conversations we have it becomes quite easy to like point our fingers mm. towards people with more power than us and say mm -hmm. that they're responsible and obviously that is true <laughs> it is their fault um but <laughs> besides pointing the finger and assigning fault or blame I do think oh, what are the small things that I do have the power to do do you have any more of those like tangible yeah, things I think so and I think I think you were talking about assumptions and I think language is really powerful here that actually you know the language of and it's quite a feminist language the language of caring a careful economy actually caring for other people mm. being compassionate being being creative being collaborative then we would see how did that happen um how do <laughs> Uh, so when we start thinking about holding those assumptions of the whole mean that the decisions I'm making are those sorts of decisions so that things like time I think how we invest our time is enormous so you know I've gone down to a four-day week which gives me time for my own well-being but it also frees up some more time to be a good neighbor to be a, a you know somebody who can campaign who I haven't quite got to the gluing myself to Heathrow run, runway yet but you know yes, yes. I can combine I can I know plenty of amazing people who are choosing mm. to do that for their kids and their grandchildren you know so that notion of how do I spend my time how do I spend my 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 skills or my intellect or the conversations we have with our mates how are we having those conversations that say to us we've got another option here we don't have to just sit here going for God's sake you can't tell me that we're still hitting climate catastrophe you know again we've got to do something about it so just just feeling more compassionate to other people feeling more compassionate towards the planet and really helping us to make those decisions just the tiniest decisions on a day-to-day -day basis and that notion that we have leadership should be empowering mm -hmm. it's not a choice you don't have to go and fight for it you just got it so just you know make the you know you're still making choices you just might make good choices or or, or choices that are going to damage the planet and jam and damage other people's capacities right. I, I wonder if part of what listening to you makes me think of is that, you know, each of us have different scope in our lives for choice. So some of us who have more privilege have more choice. So we have um, a, like a responsibility to think, to, ha to, to, to spend time thinking about those choices. And, but what I think is also empowering is that oftentimes it's like, oh, well, if you're, you know, if you are like, you know, making minimum wage and if you do have to work three jobs and if you don't have all of that, then don't worry, this is not for you, which actually I don't find this to be a super empowering message. I think it shouldn't fall on, on like, it's, it's not about disproportionate blame or responsibility, but I like the idea that this is about things you do anyway. These are about like, like choices you're making anyway, conversations mm. you're having anyway, time that you're spending anyway. So actually there's a sense of agency here that I feel can be more empowering than sometimes the conversation that's that's had. 
Yeah, I, I think so. And I think understanding, seeing seeing the economy as this amazing, wonderful tapestry is also quite empowering because, you know, the, a lot of there's lots and lots of opportunities for win-wins. So there are opportunities where you can choose to, I don't know, cycle or walk, and then you're going to improve your own health, but you're also going to be helping the, the planet. And you're also perhaps going to chat a bit more to somebody you bump into in the park and you might, you know, smile at somebody. Smiling is incredibly infectious, by the way. It's an incredible way to spread a bit of well-being. You know, the, the little time tiny choices that we're making each day yeah and I, I guess it's again that shift away from like well-being being something that is a luxury for people with money and time and more towards that being a right for everybody and something that everybody maybe in varying capacities has access to but I like the idea of like uh redistributing mm decisions like rather rather than it being like you have to make a choice about this now you're already making a choice about it so maybe you can make a different choice and then I guess it's a, a then a question about like how we present choices to people because again like I, I I feel like um I, I'm not a hundred percent sure about what what decision but then you every time I say I'm not sure you've literally just listed five or six choices right like cycling to work is I guess a big one although I'm pessimistic so I'm like I don't want to get splashed by water like I don't want to I don't like cycling in the cold but those are all decisions that I make right so then I can change those decisions for my own benefit and for the benefit of the community and the planet which is a nice way of seeing it. Well, one question I have is because I want us to zoom out a little bit because I think the I mean, you're a philosopher, so it makes sense that we've been talking kind of in at the individual level and, and really in, in a philosophical way about choices and what we value. I'm, I, but I know that the work you do at the Center for Thriving Places also is really practical. It's data-driven and mm -hmm. it's working with local authorities, it's working with businesses and governments. So I'm wondering if you can give us a snapshot of what that looks like and how you're building, like how do you get them to make these shifts? Like what are the practical things that you have that they can use? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what we've done for the last 12 or 13 years is try and make that shift easier. So we've produced an alternative to GDP, which is called the Thriving Places Index, which is a, a, a really simple framework that asks those fundamental questions that I asked earlier. Are we creating the right local conditions for, every, for us to thrive? Are we doing it equitably? So it's not just a few of us thriving, back to your question. And are we doing it sustainably so future generations can thrive? A classic one we looked at recently, you know, the, a, a city's got the option between building a big arena as an out-of-town shopping center type thing or right in the heart of the kind of cultural center of the city. One is going to produce lots and lots of profits for somebody in South Korea who's investing in it. And one can build, build capacity for, for every local community to have jobs and feeding back into the community you could get there by bus you can you know it builds the cultural hub into the heart of the city rather than making it somewhere you drive to uh, for somebody else's profit with a mcdonald's to the side of it now that's a well-being economy decision right there you know which way do you go and in the same in, in wales they're using this future generations act to say let's not build more motorways because all we know is we just get more cars mm -hmm. so so they've basically banned new motorways and they're starting to build in the infrastructure for people to have public good public transport mm -hmm. but good um active tra travel etc so 
this Thriving Places Index is right there. We publish it for every single local authority. You know, you can see the data of every borough in London. You can see the data for every city around the country, etc. And they, they, we can start holding them to account for this. With this, these are the numbers we want you shifting, guys. We want you shifting the quality of the jobs we have, the the health of our children, the the you know the the green spaces that we have access to, the quality of the services that we have. Those are the decisions we need to be investing in, and we need to hold our our decision makers mm. to account because they are investing, but they're mm. investing in things as we've seen with COVID and things. They're investing in things that are sending millions upon billions to international investors who are hiding that money offshore, etc., mm. etc. Et mm. So we have that power, but we need to make it easier. Even if we continue to have a government that's not interested in working this way, we're going to start making that shift. And you're seeing it in those smaller places like Scotland and Wales and New Zealand, etc., because they're just going, you know, bugger it, we're not waiting any longer, we're just doing this. Mm. It's so interesting because I do think that that's something that I often find really gets me down is this idea that you know on a national level we're just like there is no movement there is no room for us to like make a difference and we have to wait for these election cycles you know and and all of this kind of stuff but actually this like refocusing some of that energy locally where you can move things faster and where you can actually have an impact feels just so much better. It feels so so much less stagnant. Because mm. when you were saying that, I was thinking I'm going to check that index and then move somewhere that's high. <laughs> like, but obviously that's not the actual solution, right? <laughs> the solution is to make the area that you live have a higher score on the index by pressuring local authorities. Before we go to our final segment, I want to ask one very practical question to you, Liz. So one of the things that people can do, do is they can go check out this index that you've done of all the local authorities. Are there two other resources you where you might direct people who are thinking, okay, this is intriguing. This could be something where I could direct my energy. What what do I do next? So definitely join We All, the Wellbeing Economy Alliance. You can be an individual, it's free. You know, an individual citizen, you could be you can join as a community organization um, or as a government. So there's there's national governments around the world are all signing up to this. There it's a really extraordinary movement. It's only started about five years ago mm. but it's an extraordinary movement so join we all is that we all or we'll we all well-being we all. economy alliance.org thank you so much for sharing this with us i f- always feel really excited when we've got something that we can do <laughs> that feels meaningful and not just plastic straws and now it's time for our climate confessions let's fess up to the bad habits we just can't kick so I've got a quite a live one in the sense of I lived for nearly 30 years right in the centre of Bristol and I was able to cycle, walk, get a bus pretty much everywhere. Car, had three kids, so did have a car, but it mostly just sat, you know, there gathering dust and looking after loads of crap like mm-hmm. most cars do. And very recently we have moved to by the sea in Wales and it's quite rural it's quite in the middle of nowhere. It's incredibly beautiful. It's good for my well-being. Ooh. But I do use the car considerably Ooh. more than I did. And I know we should be going in the opposite direction. I love what it. What kind of car is it? It is a hybrid. So oh, it still uses petrol. Dis- disappointing. <laughs> Dis- you thought it was going to uh, be like pointed. a massive Range Rover. Well, yeah. I was hoping it was going to be no, an listen- electric vehicle. No, I'm joking, know, I'm joking, I know, I'm joking. No, for those no, ones, exactly, you my confession's getting worse. Listen to our interviews with our American colleagues who all drive Every massive trucks. Every single one of them. Um, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing these insights. It has been delight. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for joining us this week. 
We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please hit the follow button to make sure you get next week's release. We are now officially crowdsourcing Climate Confession, so please leave yours in the ratings and the review section, and we'll shout out to you next time. And shout out to our fabulous team behind the pod. This episode was produced by Josie Coulter. Comms written by Tess Lowry. Artwork designed by Rebecca Mingus. Curation by Marion Pasha. Mixed and engineered by Ben Beheshti. Music also by Ben Beheshti. Presented by Ben Hurst. And Marion Pasha. Remember, stay curious.